Welcome to EdSource Radio, where we talk about the latest developments in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, with John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at EdSource. John, the issue of teacher tenure came up again this week in Sacramento. What is happening on this perennially tough subject? It is a perennial divisive and controversial subject, and it came up again in the form of a bill, Assembly Bill 1220. Author is Shirley Weber of San Diego, Democrat, very powerful, persuasive person. And you know, her bill would raise tenure, which is really due process. It's permanent status. Tenure is the name it's given. It, it enables a teacher to have certain rights legal rights once they become tenured. And right now it's two years in California. It's one of the few states that have such a, a, a short time for tenure, and she would increase it to three years. Tenure was one of the issues that was in the Vergara lawsuit, which was challenged by the group Students Matter. They said it was hurting students. So just let me ask you, this sounds familiar. It didn't, should. Didn't she have this similar bill? Before? Shirley Weber has done eva teacher evaluations bill. Others have tried tenure. I don't believe she's done a specifically a tenure bill before. Others have tried and failed. And this was in the Vergara case. You remember last year the Supreme Court in California said, no, we're not going to take this up. Really, it's a matter for the legislature to decide. So here we are a year later, and sure enough, there's a bill to do that. And on Wednesday, it passed its first test, which is the Assembly Education Committee, on a four-to-one vote. Interestingly enough, uh, the one vote against it was Patrick O'Donnell, who is chair of that committee, and kind of uh, aligned with the CTA in some issues. And one abstention was Tony Thurman, who is running for state superintendent of public instruction in 2018. Thurman is the assemblyman from Oakland, Berkeley, Richmond. Yeah, Richmond. Correct. Well, isn't this, wasn't this a surprise that it uh, passed this, this first hurdle? You know, it's a long way, and it's usually easier to get out of the, the committee in which you're sponsored, and Shirley Weber is on that committee. So I think it's a sign that it's going to be around this in the legislative session, but whether or not it's going to pass, I don't know. There were two abstentions, and so the CTA is against it, and, and it's yet to be going through its big test. Which is... Well, probably once it gets to the Senate, frankly. To the Senate. Yeah, we'll see. But it's it's one of those issues that's uh, that's often talked about, and you know there have been polls that say actually people support a longer a longer case for tenure or due process rights. Where do you think the governor Jerry Brown would be on this bill? Any sense of that? I think Jerry Brown has hinted in the past that uh, he actually has indicated that yeah there would, he would be open to a lo longer time for probation. That's, uh, but uh, I don't think he's going to give any opinion until it reaches his desk, if in fact it does. Well, a hot issue in California. Let me ask you about another issue you wrote about this week, John, which is a hot issue to insiders in districts, which is how much money they have to keep in reserve for emergencies and so on. And, and uh, some developments on that front? It's been around since 2014. This is a, it's part policy and part egos. The uh, Governor put this limit on, potential limit on district reserves, and he, he kind of put it in at the last days of the 2014 uh, budget and, and didn't consult this, any of the districts or this, this, the school boards association. And what it would do would put limits on how much the uh, reserves that, or, that districts can keep for emergencies uh, under certain conditions. 
And now these conditions haven't been triggered yet, and it's question. It all has to do with the arcane. This is really inside a lot of conditions with Proposition ninety-eight and all kinds of things. It hasn't been triggered yet, and but so, it might. And so basically, the as I recall, the yeah. issue there was that the teachers' union CTA didn't want districts hoarding money, but really, if they had the money, they wanted to spend it on teachers or other things that the right. district would need. That's Dist exactly right. And the districts are saying, no, wait a minute, we should be the ones to decide what reserve we need. Exactly. The uh, CTA at the time, this was 14, money was just beginning to come back again from the recession. And dis they were saying, districts, you're too used to hoarding your money. Now start spending some of this money on students, they said, and of course, negotiation for raises as well. And so... The, the school boards turned around and said, look, governor, you just passed a local control funding formula. You gave us local control and if you turn around and you're saying here are limits on how much we can keep for reserves that we feel are necessary for us. So, you know, it's been CTA versus the school boards association for the past three years. And now there are two bills this year that look like it's going to move this issue, may put it aside. It may not you know, rescind all the limits per se, but it may may modify it enough that that there'll be a compromise that'll finally put the issue to rest. One bill is by Senator Jerry Hill from San Mateo. He's carrying it for the School Boards Association. And then there's Patrick O'Donnell, chair of the Assembly uh, Education Committee and, we just talked about. And a former teacher. Right? He was a former teacher from Long Beach. Uh, and he's carrying another bill, which also would, which would progress this issue. And the CTA at this point has taken no stand on it, which is a sign that maybe there's a potential for a compromise. Okay, just quickly, are, are, are reserves growing or shrinking or how are districts doing? Well, I think that districts are worried. They're facing extraordinary expenses in terms of pension, added pension costs. They're uncertain economic times. The governor keeps saying a recession's around the corner. So I think districts now once again are wary and would like to build up some reserves. So that's, they have an interest in, in trying to get this cap lifted. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Lewis, today is the 100th day of the President Trump, which, of course, people look to as a big marker to measure how much was done. So, here we are, 100 days. What has President Trump done uh, with regard to education? What did he promise and what has he achieved? Well, actually, one thing he did uh, about two weeks before the election, he actually issued something called Contract with the American Voter, which... Don't want to date you, John, but you may remember in 1994, Newt Gingrich, when he was running for Speaker of the House, successfully, as it turned out, put out something called Contract with America. Some people call it Contract on America. You I know, remember that very well, but what I don't remember is Trump's. Tell well, us what, what was in it. One of the things he promised was the School Choice and Education Opportunity Act, which was to redirect education dollars to give parents the right to send their kids to public, private, charter, magnet, religious, or home schools of their choice. This is the school voucher plan that has been so much discussed and very controversial. Also pledged to end the Common Core and uh, make two- and four-year college more affordable. So that was a distinct pledge, with, along with dozens of others, I have to say. But no such plan is as appeared or is on the table any of the elements nothing on nothing on school choice and nothing on college affordability now 
Critics of Trump do say that he has done other things that have had an impact on education or potential impact, like uh, supporting the repeal of the regulations around the Every Student Succeeds Act, which would have given the federal government a little more leverage in, in telling school districts what to do in some areas. And uh, so that's one thing he did. The other issue that is going to have a real impact on schools is immigration, immigration enforcement. Uh, as we reported this week, one in eight kids in California have an undocumented parent. And there's a lot of research that shows that if a parent is undocumented, that creates anxiety and that affects kids' school attendance, it affects the parent involvement, it affects academic outcomes. So that actually does have an impact on schools. Yeah, so should we take solace in the fact that he hasn't done anything? Or, or is it, uh, do we ex fully expect that he actually will go ahead and do something soon? Well, you raise a good point. Depending on which side of the political fence you sit, this is either a good thing that he hasn't done anything or a bad thing. Certainly people in California who are opposed to vouchers, this is not going to get much receptivity here, in, in at least amongst the political leadership and progressives and people who voted for uh, Hillary Clinton or against Donald Trump, which is the vast majority of Californians, they are actually pleased that he hasn't uh, moved on these uh, pledges. Well, one thing we know he's good at, and that is issuing executive orders. So I understand there was another one this week. Tell me about that. He did issue an executive order. You didn't notice it didn't get much uh, publicity. It issued an executive order on education and basically didn't say very much. But what was interesting, it was saying that the federal government needs to cede control of schools to localities, to states, school districts and schools. And in fact, Donald Trump talked at length about local control. Sounds familiar. <laughs> exactly. Um, it sounds like he almost took a page out of Jerry Brown's playbook. On this and California, as you know, has been talking about not only talking about local control, but actually has put it into practice. California, in to the legislature in 2013, that's almost four years ago, passed a local control funding formula that put into place a complex funding system and a multiple measure accountability system that is now just being implemented that really puts flesh on the bones of local control. So, in fact, you could argue that California is taking what's really kind of an abstract idea, local control, what does that mean, and actually put it, put it, is putting it into practice. Yeah, well, Jerry Brown had his issue with President Obama so at the time. So this is, is he more in concert with uh, President Trump here? Or? Well, interestingly enough, this is one area where there appears to be common ground. There's not common ground on numerous other things, immigration, which you've talked about, climate change, I'd say most other aspects of the, the Trump agenda, such as it is. But in terms of local control, uh, this is, they seem to be on the same page on this issue. Well, when we talk about, are we, do we have the same definition uh, or is when he, the president talks about local control, he means states' rights or, you know? Well, that is an issue. The, the subtext, but it not expressed this week, is Local control, how far do you extend it? And there is, there is some rhetoric around giving parents greater rights. And of course, this is not antithetical. I think Jerry Brown would definitely support having parents more engaged. In fact, the local control funding formula, local control and accountability plan requires parents to be more involved. But 
when Trump and his Secretary of Education, DeVos, talk about parental control, I think we, most people would understand that as giving them choice to send their kids to private schools or charter schools or religious schools. So I guess we'll have to see whether it's a buzzword or coded for something that we've yet to see. Exactly. John, we're almost out of time, but uh, just give me some idea of what we can expect next week. What are some of the issues you'll be looking at? Well, we'll be looking at the first draft of the state's plan for the Every Student Succeeds Act. It went up on the website on Friday, and it's very long, and it's going to be a while before I and others can go through the whole thing, but that's going to be a really important issue to track in the coming week, and the state board will discuss it on the following week, uh, second week in, in May. When they have their bi-monthly exactly. meeting. Right. Lewis, what else can we expect? What's on your agenda? Well, one of the things we have just been hearing about is county offices of education, which are quite important in the whole local control and accountability plan, monitoring districts. But we understand that quite a few of them are actually having to lay off staff. And the reason is, is that under Jerry Brown's efforts to reduce the number of juveniles in juvenile facilities, and the counties run these juvenile juvenile schools, and if the kids aren't there, they don't get paid. So it's the money flows in proportion to the number of kids there. And that's just one of the factors that's affecting that. And the counties don't really get much publicity. Reporters don't really cover them on a regular basis, but they are key to this whole accountability system that, that we have in place. So we're going to be looking at, at how they're doing. That's interesting. Is that a good news story? The fact that there are fewer students in the county facilities, they're presumably in district school. Good news in that regard. I'd say probably not such good news if the counties are expected to be really hold school districts accountable for meeting the goals on the local control and accountability plans. I see. Well, that wraps it up for This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg with John Fensterwald. For more information on these topics, go to our website at edsource.org. Thanks for listening and see you next week.